as we get through the book of Acts, we're quickly going to learn a lot about the life of Paul for most of the rest of Acts. But we got three more brief windows to check out what God did in the life of this man named Peter. And I've been excited as I read this passage this week. That first verse, 9 verse 32, said, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Lydda was a city about 25 miles away from Jerusalem where Peter was stationed. But I want to talk a little bit about that first phrase because different translations say it in a, in a more powerful way. Some of them say, as Peter went here and there among the people. You get this picture of Peter just sort of traveling around wherever God led him, going wherever God said go. And that passage made me think about Monday this week. How many of you guys looked out at the wind on Monday? experience to wind. You guys lost some shingles, didn't you? I know friends that lost trampolines flying away in, in the wind, landing in other lots. It was a crazy windy day. I spent m- much of my day watching a weather tower that one of our neighbors put up, seeing if it was going to fall over. Many of the neighbors are trying to get it, get it down anyway because they say it violates the HOAs. And You're not even allowed to have a portable hoop up that's this tall in our driveway overnight. We got a note for that, but this guy's got a 20-foot tower. I wasn't signing the petition. I could care less, but I was watching to see what was going to happen with that thing. It, It made it. It made it that day, but that wind got me thinking about something that Jesus had said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that I think paints a picture of how Peter and how you and I should should live our lives. Jesus said to Nicodemus, The wind blows wherever it pleases. No one can tell where it comes from. No one can tell where it's going. And then he gets to his point and he says, That's how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. People should be able to look at the lives of those who are born of the Spirit of God, those believers, and and there should be something awesome about it, some power that people look at and say, wow, where did that come from? Why did they say that? How did they do that? What's behind this? There's a a mystery to it. And it, it also got me thinking about these. The good old tumbleweed. Now, I know these are commonplace out here, and those of you who grew up here, how many of you are native Arizonans? <laughs> There's what, yeah. You guys are like, okay, why is he talking about tumbleweeds? Because I'm from Ohio, okay? These are a bit of a novelty to us when we first moved out here. In fact, if you go on to Amazon.com or Google.com and type in tumbleweeds, you can actually buy these and have them shipped to you in other parts of the country. $19.99 for a large one. No joke. Check it out. $11.99 for a baby tumbleweed, 6 to 12 inches. So, so these are somewhat of a novelty to those of us who aren't from around here, much like real lakes with real fish that are actually born in a lake or novelties to, to many of you guys. <laughs> but on Monday, I watched many of these flying across the field behind our house, and I thought, you know what? In a lot of ways, the way Peter lives his life, just traveling about, going here and there among all of God's people, and the way we should live our lives has some parallels with the tumbleweed. Now, I want to be careful because this is a dead weed, and I'm not saying 
as believers in Jesus Christ, you're a bunch of dead weeds. It, this, this illustration does have its, its flaws, but two things about this that I think tie in nicely is one is these things are made to go in the wind, right? When they catch the wind, they just zip across the landscape. I'd like to know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to put a tracker on one of these and see how many miles some of these tumbleweeds travel in the wind, right? So they're made to go, which as you guys know, so are believers, go and make disciples, and they're made to reproduce. You see these little white things all over? They're seeds. They're made to go, and they're made to reproduce, as are we. We're told to make disciples or make other followers of Jesus Christ as we are, people who believe in him and will walk in his ways. And I kept thinking about this. Now, go with me on this. What was this before it turned into a tumbleweed? It was just a weed, right? It was, it was in the ground attached to the earth by a root. And as long as it was attached by a root to the earth, it didn't go anywhere. And I thought, you know what? It's, an interesting parallel there is it's kind of like us as, as believers. As long as we're tied to things of this world, we're rooted in our desires for fame or wealth or status, we're rooted to this earth to earthly things and and we're not going any place for God but it's as we begin to die to ourselves as Jesus said to take up your cross and follow me we become freed from our earthly desires and by the wind of the spirit can be taken places that we can never be taken without him right you think about the life of a tumbleweed sometimes they're they're going and going, and it's exciting, man. They're just flying across that field. And sometimes that's how it is for us as believers. We're in the middle of a, for lack of a better word, a highlight reel in our Christian walk. We're seeing people come to Jesus. We're making a difference in people's lives. And man, things are moving. And then there's other times where we're stuck on a barbed wire fence for, it seems like, two or three months, if not five or six or a year. And we're like, man, what's going on, God? I've been in this pile of tumbleweeds for, seems like, forever. What are you doing here? And then there's other times, like when a tumbleweed gets caught in one of those microbursts or dust devils or mini tornadoes or whatever you want to call them, we get shot up into the air hundreds if not thousands of feet in our spiritual walk and we see God do things that are totally unexplainable in natural terms and we say, wow God, wow, check that out. So in a lot of ways I want to say that Peter and we should be as well, was like a spiritual tumbleweed. He was made to, to go and, and reproduce other disciples. So that's what he's doing. He's walking around Israel doing what Jesus told him to do, to take care of his sheep. So he travels 25 miles to a city named Lydda. And I want you to see what happens in this city. Verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. I know we love to zip through these passages, but I just want you to put yourself in Aeneas' shoes. I don't know if you've ever known anyone who has been physically unable to move their arms and limbs. I'll never forget in Ohio, I knew a 19-year-old African-American named Ron who was in a care center that I worked at as a volunteer for a while. Just two years before I met him, he was a perfectly healthy 17-year-old. And a rare disease ravaged his body. And when I met him, he was a 19-year-old man that could not even get out of bed. 
and you could you could see the the pain in his eyes even even through that he amazed me he he told me one day i'm so thankful for all that god has given me he was a believer in jesus and man jesus was helping him through that but what a condition you, i can't move 8 years of that and peter walks in in verse 34 and he looks at him he says aeneas jesus christ heals you get up and roll up your mat immediately Aeneas got up. And when I look at these two incidents in Peter's life, I can only imagine him going back to his time when Jesus was with him in the flesh, right? Because Jesus healed a paralytic. You remember they were all together in a room and there were a group of four friends that had a guy that couldn't move and they couldn't get in, so they cut a hole in the roof and dropped him down in front of Jesus. And instead of being upset at the distraction, probably rock and other dirt falling on him, Jesus looks at this guy and says, because of your faith, you're healed. And by the way, your sins are forgiven. And you guys will remember something cool about the book of Acts that is also true of us. Is that it's what Jesus continues to do through his people. Way back in Acts chapter 1, it said that Luke recorded all that Jesus began to do and teach in his gospel. What that means is everything from Jesus' birth to his, his death and resurrection was what he began to do and teach. In the book of Acts, which is Luke's sequel, this is what Jesus continues to do and teach through his followers. He's not done working in Peter's life. He's not done working in our lives. But I want you to see the primary purpose. Why does God stay? into situations like this from time to time and do the miraculous? What's his primary motivation, or at least one of them? Verse 35, here it is. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, that was a nearby area, saw him. They, they looked at this man, Aeneas, who they knew couldn't move for eight years. They knew it. They, they, had, they had seen him on his mat. They saw him walking and they turned to the Lord. That means they placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Peter wasn't there to make, make the Peter show. Even when he said, you're healed. You remember how he said it? Jesus Christ has healed you. So the purpose of this was that people in that area would believe that the Jesus they had heard about, who had died for their sin and rose again, that really happened. And we ought to put our trust in that. That was God's primary purpose. We go on to verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And I've got to tell you, this is a really hard passage to teach in Sunday school because as soon as you say her name was Dorcas, <laughs> the kids are gone. <laughs> her name's Dorcas. It actually means something really beautiful. It means gazelle. And this lady lived a beautiful life. It says she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now, this is interesting, what they did with her body. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Why do you suppose that was? Good guess. A cool room? Yes. So for the, the coolness, okay, 
where I'm going, you guys, you guys, it probably was a well-ventilated, cool room, but where I'm going, what was normal to do with the body was to wash it, to get it covered with spices and get it buried ASAP before it starts to decay. That was the normal mode of operation in this day. Let's get it buried, get it in the tomb. Why do you suppose they waited? They, they were hoping. Yes, they were hoping that God was going to step in here and do something special. And I just want to use that as a teaching point for us. You know, a lot of times we want God to do something. But we're in such a hurry to do things that just make sense, do things the way that makes sense to us, to take care of it on our own the way we always take care of things, that I think maybe because we're not willing to wait on God to do something, sometimes we miss out on what he wants to do. We just go through with our normal, this is what I know to do here, so I'm going to do it and then ask God to bless it. Well, sometimes we need to wait. We need to slow down and say, God, I really want to give this to you, so I'm willing to wait on you. Verse 38, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Now here's the second thing they did. Notice, they asked for help. They waited for God and they called to Peter to come. They waited and they asked. And the Bible comes right out and says that in many situations we have not simply because we ask not. And this is by no means a guarantee for me that everything we ask for or every time we wait on God, he's going to answer things in such a dramatic fashion. But I wonder, have we missed out on opportunities for him to do so simply because we will not wait and we will not ask? They said, Peter, come at once. Please come at once. So Peter went with them. And I love that about Peter. You know, as far as the apostles go, you know, Jesus had told Peter... You know, you are the rock, upon this rock I'll build my church. And, and the rock was actually his confession that Jesus was the Messiah. But Peter was always at the front of the pack of the disciples, you know. He was the, the vocal leader. Even after Jesus left, Peter and John were sort of the, the two you hear about a lot there in Jerusalem. But he gets a request and he goes. You know, he's not like, listen, I'm Peter. I, I, don't, I don't just come for requests, you know. I've got X, Y, Z on my schedule this week. I'm working on a sermon. He, he was very receptive to the needs of God's people. And that's a sign of a, a good leader. Jesus said, the greatest among you will become the servant of all. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. You imagine this scene. These are all widows that Dorcas had spent her life taking care of. And they're there showing Peter, look, she made me this sweater. She made me this robe. She made me this. She made me this. And this is sort of a side point, but I think it's good for us to think about at the moment where we cross that threshold and and end this earthly life, what will the people around us that we've touched have to say? He, he blessed me this way. She, she did this for me. What, what, what is it, if it was today, that people would say about us? 
What a cool thing these widows were saying. Look at all she's done for us. It's almost like they're showing him, we need her back. <laughs> she was taking care of us, Peter. We, we need her. Verse 40 says, Peter sent them all out of the room. And you can start to think back. Peter's mind is probably there too. When Jesus was here, there was a man named Jairus. He was a synagogue ruler. And he sent for Jesus to come heal his daughter, went to him. And, and then they were on the way back and, and Jesus healed another woman. But on the way, they got a message that, hey, she's already dead. Don't worry about it. And Jesus said, we're going anyway. And, and much of what Peter does here, having people leave the room, is just like Jesus did. He got down on his knees. He prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. I think at this moment especially, he's feeling really connected with Jesus because Peter, James, and John were the only three disciples that were allowed in that room when Jesus had raised Jairus' daughter. He had seen Jesus do this very thing. And what Jesus said in the original language to that little girl was Talitha Kumi. Talitha Kumi. And what Peter's saying here to Tabitha is only one letter off. He's saying Tabitha Kumi. Only difference is an L and a B. So you can imagine just the connection he's feeling, the memories he's having with what Jesus had done while he was here. He had this real sense, I believe, that Jesus was doing this in him. One word difference. Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, which is something Jesus had done with Jairus' daughter, even before she was resurrected, and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Can you imagine the, the waves of excitement that, that went through that room? The, the ripples that just filled that place of joy. And of course, when a, when a dead woman comes back to life, it says this became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. There it is again. Did you notice that was mentioned both times? He, he healed Aeneas and many turned to the Lord. He raised Tabitha or Dorcas and many people believed in the Lord. You, you start to get the idea that this is what God's after when he does miracles. He wants his miracles to confirm the truth of his word. It's the same in our lives today. When he does something special in our lives, when he turns us from a life of sin and darkness into a totally new creation, when he does something miraculous through you or I, it's not for our glory. It's not just to say, wow, I'm blessed. It's so people will look in and say, I want that Jesus that, that did that. I want to put my trust in him as well. And it goes on to say, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon, which is going to set us up for our next message in this series. But I just want to close with this idea of where did this following God wherever he leads me, following Jesus through the Spirit wherever he leads me, where did this start in Peter's life? And I want to take you back to two moments while Jesus was here and think about how these shaped the way Peter thought about Jesus and the way you and I should think about him as well. You remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Peter had a boat, right? He's a fisherman. 
Jesus said to Peter, I'd like to teach from your boat. So Jesus got in Peter's boat and they pushed out a little ways and, and Jesus taught the crowd from Peter's boat. It was daytime. And after he was done, you'll remember, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, put your boat out in deeper water and throw your nets out to catch some fish. And Peter said, Lord, we were out all night. That's when you fish anyways. You fish at night. That's, that's part of what he's getting at. You don't fish when the sun's out. We were out all night and we caught nothing. But he says, since you say it, I'll do it. And they pushed out into the deep water and Peter threw his nets over. And it says the catch was so gigantic in those nets that it almost sunk the boat. Okay, that was one incident. How many of you know he did the same thing at the end as well? When he appeared to Peter again after the resurrection, the disciples were out after a long night of fishing again, and Jesus shows up on the beach. They don't know it's him because it's from a distance, or maybe he's even not allowing them to recognize him at the moment, but he cries out to him, Hey, do you have any fish? No, we don't. We fished all night. Throw the net on the right side of the boat. Now, you think about that. Like, this boat's like this, this wide, right? Like, what difference is that going to make? Throw it on the other. Okay, okay. He throws it out there, and it gives the exact number. 153 fish filled that net, and they dragged all those fish to the shore. And Peter realized it was Jesus. He jumped out of the boat. He was so excited. He says he wrapped his garment around himself first and then jumped in the water. Goes to see Jesus. But what did he say after the first time that happened at the beginning of his ministry? Peter sort of freaked out, right? He's like, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. But what did Jesus say to him? Yes, don't be afraid, Peter. I will make you fishers of men. And I believe that physical lesson was to show Peter, hey, when you go where I tell you to go, And when you cast the nets, when I tell you to cast the nets, I'll take care of the catch. I'll take care of the catch. And that's exactly what you see happening with men in these passages. Peter followed the Spirit. He he took his life where Jesus told him to go. He cast the nets by doing the works Jesus had called him to do. And Jesus filled the nets with the souls that he longed to save in both instances. And you all of a sudden get to see a a glimpse of the heart of our missionary God who desperately wants the lost to be saved. That's his heartbeat in all of this. In, In our lives, he wants the lost to be saved. This was driven home to us. Some of you guys are gonna think I'm a wuss because I didn't grow up on a farm and I didn't grow up hunting. Not against either. I like eating meat. I just never been part of the process. I was out back with the boys. They were bouncing on our trampoline, which didn't fly away, thankfully. And I'm walking in this this sliding glass door. It's open and there's the solid glass wall here. And right as I'm walking in, I hear, bam, like like a shot from a shotgun or something. And I was like, what was that? And I, I look over about three feet from the door. It bounced that far. It hit so hard. It was this beautiful morning dove laying on the, the patio. And you could see a little bit of blood trickling out. And we'd been watching this, this pair of morning doves. They'd been building a nest in our tree in our front yard. 
and it didn't take long. Within about 10 seconds, he was, he was gone, and the boys saw it too, so it turned into a real teaching opportunity. But I went to the garage and got the shovel and took this beautiful bird and, and put him over the fence. And, and uh, me and Carolyn t- both talked about how surprised we were, how sad we were about a, a bird, you know, beautiful bird nonetheless. But, but then Carolyn came back yesterday and she's like, you know what, I, I was thinking how, you know, God says he... Not even a sparrow falls out of the sky without him noticing. God, God notices birds that, that die. But, but how much more, his point in that story was, how much more will I, will I care for you? I thought about, man, if, if he notices when a bird drops out of the sky, how his heart must break when a lost person dies and goes to an eternity without him, right? Ezekiel tells us, he, he comes right out and says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Peter says he is willing that, that none should perish. That's his heart. You think of the vilest sinner you can imagine. He is not willing that that person should perish. He wants them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter going to these places was all about. As he followed the Spirit to, to take the message of Jesus and cast that net and bring them in. And as we wrap up, I just want to ask us, are, are we like Peter? Are we willing to, to follow the wind of the Spirit wherever it takes us, wherever he calls us? Like, like a tumbleweed, however far away from home that takes us, however far out of our comfort zone that takes us, are we prepared to go and reproduce with the wind of the Spirit? And I think for some of us, the tumbleweed illustration makes us a little nervous because there is like not much control for a tumbleweed. It's sort of at the mercy of the wind. Wherever that wind says go, it goes, right? I think some of us might like the kite picture. Like, let, let's make my life like a kite. That way I can at least hold the string. And Like, I'll decide when I take it out of the garage and when I put it back in the garage and, and how far it's going to go out there. You know, if it starts to get a little uncomfortable, I'm going to reel it back in. But the tumbleweed, man, it's totally surrendered to the wind. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, whoever seeks to save his life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. What he's saying is only those who truly surrender fully will experience the the fullness and all the blessing of this Christian life that he wants us to. He doesn't want us to just eke by and just get into heaven by the skin of our teeth. He wants us to experience a life worth living that only comes as we let go. I want to tell one story as I close just to say, you know, just like Peter was driven by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit to these moments in order to reap a harvest for God's kingdom. I believe with all my heart, that God is still in the business of putting these pieces together today for the same purpose. He still wants a harvest of the lost. And he wants you to be a part of it. He wants me to be a part of it. And I just want to tell you one small example that I'm praying about and excited about right now. To show you God's hand in different places around the world. When I was at the Heights Church, I led the college ministry. We called it Rev 21 at the time. And there was a young couple in there named Mike and Hillary Beckwith. They hung out with Justin and Becky and me and Carolyn and a bunch of other 
Now we're all getting older now. Uh, but Mike and Hillary now live out in Virginia. I hadn't talked to Hillary in about probably three or four years, honestly. And, and she called last week from Virginia. And she told me this story that just drove home. God's still in the business of sending people where they need to go to reap these harvests. She said she went to her church out there. And it took them like three or four years to, to find a church that felt like home. But they finally found one. And they were in there a couple weeks ago. Mike was working. It was just her. And it was a communion week. And typically, she wouldn't have sat where she sat this week. She, she sat next to a man that was in the service. She just walked in and took a seat and realized, you know, and just as a married woman, nothing weird, but she just normally wouldn't sit right next to a man. But so she's sitting there during the communion, and they do the communion. And, and after the service, uh, the man sitting next to her says, hey, uh, would you and Mike just pray pray for my family because my wife's mother lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And she is dying of cancer. We don't believe she's going to have much more time. And I would really love if someone could could go and and speak a message at her memorial service that would speak the gospel of Jesus Christ because that family needs it. Many of them believe they're okay with God. They think they're okay because they go to church. They think they're okay because they're good, but they don't know the grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And Hillary's like, you know what? I'm from Prescott, Arizona. That's like an hour and a half north of there. And I know a pastor named Scott who would probably be more than happy to come down and preach the gospel to your family. So Hillary calls me, and I call Randy, and Randy and I talked on Friday for 20 minutes, and our hearts were so united. He's got such a heart. He wants to go in and talk to his his mother-in-law in in the hospital to make it plain to her, and he's so excited about and praying about me coming down there and just laying it out there plainly for their family that Jesus died for them and rose again for their salvation, and I'd ask you to pray about that. We don't know the timing of how this is going to work out, first for her, but then also for that family. But isn't that neat? An incidental seat at a communion service leads to a connection to someone that can go down and share the good news of Jesus. And and you guys know that in your lives. God's setting up the same sorts of scenarios in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, with people you know. The question is, are our eyes open? Are we willing to go? And are we willing to reproduce? To go where he says go and cast those nets. Lord, it's so exciting to realize, as I've been doing as we go through the book of Acts, or maybe just remember that the the ways you worked in your early church, the, the same Holy Spirit that worked in that early church and were to draw the lost into salvation and put your children in places where they could share the gospel, you're you're still doing that today. And God, we want to be open to that. We want to hear you, Jesus, when you say go. And we want to be prepared to cast those nets, to be prepared to give an answer for the reason that we have hope. Lord, may we be a group that's like Peter, like that spiritual tumbleweed, ready to go in the wind of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and ready to reproduce. Make disciples, Lord. We pray for this family right now as they go through this difficult chapter, Lord. We, we ask your comfort and grace upon them. We do ask 
that this mother-in-law would come to know the saving grace of Jesus. And we ask that you prepare the hearts of this family down there in Phoenix. God, that you draw them in. That some, if not many, will see their need for a Savior and, and place their trust in him. God, open our eyes to the opportunities in our own lives. We pray even as we collect our offering, Lord, that you give us wisdom to use it in a way that will help further your kingdom and your purpose that we've talked about tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.